We're just ending the third week of Easter, and again, we're forced to deal with death and terror. All I can say is that we're all thinking about the people in Boston, and our prayers are with them. On Tuesday, Boston Cardinal Sean O'Malley received a message from the Vatican Secretary of State, Cardinal Tarcisio Bertone, expressing Pope Francis's sentiments. We are deeply grieved by news of the loss of life and grave injuries caused by the act of violence perpetrated last evening in Boston. His Holiness Pope Francis wishes me to assure you of his sympathy and closeness in prayer. In the aftermath of this senseless tragedy, His Holiness invokes God's peace upon the dead, His consolation upon the suffering, and His strength upon all those engaged in the continuing work of relief and response. At this time of mourning, the Holy Father prays that all Bostonians will be united in a resolve not to be overcome by evil, but to combat evil with good, working together to build an ever more just, free, and secure society for generations to come. Cardinal O'Malley also issued a statement. He wrote, The Archdiocese of Boston joins all people of goodwill in expressing deep sorrow following the senseless acts of violence perpetrated at the Boston Marathon. Our prayers and concern are with so many who experienced the trauma of these acts, most especially the loved ones of those whose lives were lost and those who were injured and the injured themselves. In the midst of the darkness of this tragedy, we turn to the light of Jesus Christ, the light that was evident in the lives of people who immediately turned to help those in need. We stand in solidarity with our ecumenical and interfaith colleagues in the commitment to witness the greater power of good in our society and to work together for healing. Salt and Light joins all in prayer for the victims and their families. We pray for our friends at Catholic Television, the Catholic Digest, Sister Marie Paul Curley, who is from Boston, and Father Jim Phelan of Family Rosary International, also a Boston native. May the light of Christ bring healing and scatter the darkness. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro, and a special welcome to any new listeners, either on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129, or on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network in Nebraska, Iowa, and South Dakota. Please visit us on Facebook, search for Salt Plus Light Radio, and when you find us, like our page for a chance to win some cool music prizes. Today, our parenting expert, Jillian Cantor, returns to tell us what she learned from her kids this week. And we also have our usual features, Andrew Santos with our Saint of the Week and Sheridan with an update on the March for Life. Chris Dimitrenko will also be here with our news in about five minutes. And today is also the show featuring sisters. Not sure if you've ever heard of the game show TV network or GSN. They have a game show called the American Bible Challenge. And it's a neat show that tests Bible knowledge. And the contestants participate in teams. You have bikers, cowboys, Christian girls, and you have religious sisters. Those religious sisters, Dominican sisters to be exact, have moved on through the levels and will now be playing on the final round. 
One of the sisters, Sister Peter Joseph, will be joining us in our second half hour to tell us all about this experience of new evangelization. And you will remember last Advent, we featured the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, who had their first album, Advent at Ephesus. Well, they now have a second album, Angels and Saints at Ephesus. And we'll be speaking with Monica Fitzgibbons of De Montfort Music about it at the end of the program. But because we always start with a song, here they are with a song by Father Juan Escollar from the 1700s. It's a song usually sung at Vespers on the Feast of St. Joseph and on the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. Te Joseph Celebrant.
That was the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles with Tate Joseph, Celebrant, from their new album Angels and Saints at Ephesus. And more about this new album uh, coming up in the second half hour of our program in about 50 minutes, What Our Kids Teach Us, with Jillian Cantor. But first, Krista Matrenko is here with our news. Well, it's a change edition of our news segment today. We're all talking about changes. First of all, changes ahead for the Curia. This Mm. has been the big story this week. Now, leading to the conclave that elected Pope Francis, cardinals were speaking about a pressing need to reform the bureaucracy in the Vatican known as the Roman Curia. Well, one month into his pontificate, Pope Francis is making a big step in that direction. Last Saturday, he appointed a group of cardinals to assist him. The eight cardinals have a broad mandate to advise him in the governance of the church, and hence they've been deemed in the media super cardinals. Right. But they also have a very specific task to revise the document that outlines the work of the Roman Curia. The cardinals are drawn from every continent. North America is represented by Cardinal Sean O'Malley from Boston, and their first meeting will take place in October. Well, what could those reforms look like? Well, the American commentator, George Weigel, had some ideas in his column on First Things. He thinks that the relevant apostolic constitutions should change so that pontifical councils in the Curia, uh, the different departments there, don't need to be led by cardinals anymore, but they could be led by qualified priests, religious, or laity. Mm-hmm. And some of those, those positions, which are traditionally given to cardinals, uh, the heads of the Vatican departments, um, you know, those would be freeing up a number of cardinals that could be given to uh, reorganize the College of Cardinals geographically and more uh, demographically as well, so that some places where maybe there should be more cardinals can get more cardinals, you know, like Africa Panama. or South America. Instead of all these cardinals being, or Panama, yes, yes absolutely. all of these cardinals being uh, centralized in the Roman Curia. Mm-hmm. Now, more changes ahead for women religious. Pope Francis apparently is pressing forward with changes to what's called the LCWR, the Leadership Conference of Women Religious. The LCWR represents 80% of women religious in the United States. And the Vatican issued an evaluation of them and uh, following what was called an apostolic visitation. And the, this assessment called for reforms to address, quote, serious doctrinal problems that dealt with fidelity to Catholic teaching. The head of the Vatican congregation that issued that assessment, his name is Archbishop Gerhard Mueller, he met with the leaders of the LCWR and he told them that he discussed the assessment with Pope Francis and that Pope Francis reaffirmed the program of reform called for by the Vatican. In other words, Pope Francis said, uh, we must press ahead with these changes Mm -hmm. to the LCWR. And the LCWR issued a brief statement in response saying that the conversation was open and frank between them and Archbishop Mueller. And they say that they pray that these conversations will bear fruit for the good of the church. So a very big story for women religious in the United States. And finally, Pedro, when we think of changes in the church, we naturally think of Vatican II. Of course. The Pope spoke about the council at Mass on Tuesday. The Mass was celebrated at his residence. He called Vatican II a beautiful work of the Holy Spirit, but he asked whether we've done everything that the Holy Spirit was asking us to do during the council. And he says that 50 years later, no, we haven't. 
To mark the anniversary, he says we're more comfortable putting up a monument than really following mm. the spirit. Pope Francis says that we don't want to change. And what's more, there are those who want to turn the clock back, so go back to, way, to the way things were. And Pope Francis says that we do the very same thing in our personal lives. The Spirit pushes us, but we resist. And we really need to submit to the Holy Spirit and go forward along the path of holiness. Very good. Thank you. Lots of change, I guess. And mm -hmm. I'm sure there's more change coming, too. Thank you for the, the change edition of our Salt and Light Hour News. With Chris Dimitrenko, our news producer, remember, if you'd like to comment on anything that you hear on this program, we'd love to hear from you. Send us your comments via Facebook. Hi, I'm Sheridan, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org radio. Look us up on Facebook, Salt Plus Light Radio, and let us know if you like us. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew, have you liked Salt and Light Radio on Facebook? Of course. Okay. What just, kind of question is uh, that? Just to be sure, and have you invited all your friends? Oh, yes. I'm been totally on top yeah, of that. Okay, yeah, okay, you keep doing that. By the way, thanks for giving me the music for this segment. I think I have the best you music You have the best the theme Salt music, Light Radio the Hour. Saint. <laughs> it, you know who the composer is? No. Joe Zambone. Oh, this is a thanks, Joe. Joe Zambone. Thank you, Joe. So who's our saint today? All right, this week we're going to look at Saint Adalbert. Uh, saint Adalbert. I've okay, never no, heard I've of never him heard before, of him. but nope. um, actually his story is very curious. He's a saint from Europe. Uh -huh. uh, he was born 939 to a noble Bohemian family. Okay. Um, Adalbert, or his maiden name is Wojtek. Um, uh -huh. I hope I'm pronouncing this properly. It's, it's Czech. He was born into a noble Czech family of Prince Slavnik and his wife Stratislava in Libice nad Cilinu, which okay. is in Bohemia. Yeah. I think I butchered Sounds that. Sounds right. But yeah, but uh, basically he's Czech. Uh, his father was a rich and independent ruler. Adalbert had five full brothers. He was known to be a very well-educated man, having studied for about 10 years uh, in Magdalbert. Uh, upon the death of his mentor, he assumed the name of Archbishop Adalbert. Um, his name, again, was uh, Wojtek, under whom he studied with at Magdalbert. He was known to be quite gifted and industrious. Uh, he soon became well-known all throughout the continent of Europe. St. Adalbert was the first Bishop of Prague to have been born in Bohemia. He became Bishop of Prague, um, and where he was obliged to flee on account of um, the enmity he had aroused by his efforts to reform the clergy of his diocese. He tried bringing forth reform, not many people liked it, and he had to flee. Now he sent himself to Rome, and he was released by Pope John XV from his episcopal obligations. He took it upon himself to go and live and study in a monastery, and he occupied himself in the most humble duties of the house. He was known by his people. Um, he was known to be a man of joy. He was expelled a second time, and he returned to Rome. Uh, that time, the people of Hungary were just turning towards Christianity. Um, Adalbert went among them as a missionary and uh, probably baptized King Geza and his family as well as King Stephen. Uh -huh. After that, following that, he evangelized the Polish people um, and he was made Archbishop of Nessen. But again, he left that diocese and he set out to preach and evangelize those in what is now known as the Kingdom of Prussia. Mm -hmm. um, 
he had success at first. He was uh, very joyful. He was very successful at what he what he did. But the way he went about doing things, his imperious manner in commanding them, the people to abandon paganism, irritated a lot of people. And at the instigation of one of the pagan priests, he was killed. Um, and that was in the year 997. Um, St. Adalbert was killed on the suspicion of being a Polish spy. Um, he was buried in the town of Niezo in Poland. And he was transported in the year 1039 to the city of Prague in the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. He was canonized in the year 999. His feast is celebrated in the Universal Church on April the 23rd. And he is called the Apostle of Prussia. Um, he is said to have ransomed his body for an equivalent weight of gold. Um, hmm. And he is thought to be the author of the war song Boga Rodzika, which the Polish people used to sing when going to battle. Okay, so there so we go for all our... Uh, this is, um, it's got a lot of history in yes, it. Yes, all, it's all it's our listeners of Polish or Czech or Slovak or Bohemian background, um, St. Adalbert, feast day, April 23rd. 23rd. Pray for us. Thank you very much, Andrew. Andrew Santos, our saint expert. Hi, I'm Krista Matrenko, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can also find me on Facebook, Deacon Pedro, and on Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. And coming up is an update on the March for Life. And now... What our kids teach us with Jillian Cantor. Jillian, welcome back. What did you learn from your three kids this week? Well, I'm going to change your question, as I sometimes will do. (laughs) And instead of what did I learn from my three kids, it's what did I learn from my five-year-old niece instead. Oh, she's a kid. That counts. She is a kid, I know, and we're pretty close. And she's close to my kid's age, but she's just that much older, and I think some things she's um, able to process a little bit more. Yeah. So this is a story that my sister told me, um, that one day Lily was just having a grouchy day for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and her, it was she was being bothered by her two brothers, um, and it, after a full day of grouchiness and being bugged and not being able to take it anymore, she just blew up and had the temper tantrum of all temper tantrums and uh-huh. yelled and screamed and then stomped off to her room. And then after a while, uh, she came out and she found my sister and she said to her, Mommy, I'm so sorry. I just got so mad, and I, I was, all those things were bugging me, and I just got so mad, and I yelled, and I knew it wasn't the right thing to do, and I'm so sorry. And, and that, to me, is surprising to have your child be so remorseful and so mm-hmm. understanding of their behavior. We're not at that stage yet. I hope, hopefully it comes at some point. But to hear that, it was so lovely to know that she could take that time and just be quiet and figure things out. And then express herself more eloquently than some grown-ups can. Like, I know that I, I have grouchy days where people are bugging me and then I blow up at them, but I'm too proud to go to mm-hmm. them afterwards and say, I'm sorry, I know that was wrong, I didn't act properly. And, um, but it takes a five-year-old to do that to remind us, oh my gosh, yeah, we, all of our hearts have sin in it and we can do so much better if we just take the time to, to think about what mm-hmm. we've done and to come clean and to say sorry to the people we need to say sorry to. Um, yeah, but we just, I don't know what it, well, pride really, that, that keeps us from doing that. So so Lily was my reminder of that this week. And yeah. 
it really it, may, it humbles you to to put yourself in that position and think, well, if a five year old can do that, if a five year old knows as much, then certainly I I can do that too. <laughs> yeah, you're so, so right. That's that is humbling. What a huge reminder. I find that very difficult too mm-hmm. to apologize to my children. Not um, even just children, but no, in but, any but any situation, yeah, it is hard to come and say, you know what, but that was my fault. I am wrong. I am sorry. No, so. absolutely. I'm wondering. I mean, if this is also a compliment to your sister and her husband to to have their five-year-old daughter have learned, she's learned mm-hmm. yeah. that she goes off and has her own time out while she thinks what she did, and then she can come out and, and yeah. clearly communicate, like you said, much better than adults. Yeah. That probably means that your sister and her husband are doing something I think so. Something yep. right. <laughs> so we Good. might send our kids Let's over have, there for yeah. some time out. <laughs> Let's have your sister do the segment next week. <laughs> okay, well, very good. Thank you. Thank you, Jillian. Um, a good lesson and, and forgiveness there and, and for us to swallow our pride mm-hmm. sometimes <laughs> and, uh, and ask for forgiveness. Good. Thank you very much. Jillian Cantor is the producer of the Salt and Light TV program Mothering Full of Grace. And she's a wife and a mother of three and an aunt. Also of many. Of many. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, this is Sean Carney with 40 Days for Life, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Listen to uninterrupted Catholic music on Salt and Light Radio at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Christian music like never before. Check out the website to find out how you can listen online and on the go on your mobile device. And here now is Sheridan with our diocesan update. Hello, my friends. As you know, Canada has an annual March for Life rally each year in our nation's capital. So earlier this week, I spoke with Sharon Rose Milan from Campaign Life Coalition to get the scoop. Hello, Sharon. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thanks for having me. So tell us a bit about your role at Campaign Life Coalition. Uh, Well, I'm currently serving on the committees for the March for Life Youth, uh, the Defund Abortion Campaign. Um, I was the speaker at the Defund Abortion Campaign for the last two years for the rally uh, in front of Queen's Park. Uh, I mean, I acted as an international affairs officer to the UN's conference on the status of women, and I do street activism with Campaign Life Coalition's Youth Choice Chain. Um, And also I work as the assistant to the national president of Campaign Life Coalition, Jim Hughes. So it's kind of it's kind of a bunch of things all all together, but it's a it's a really great role. I, I really love working here. <laughs> wow! So tell us a little bit about the defund abortion rally. Okay. Well, I mean, we just had our second defund abortion rally at Queens Park, um, which is a part of the campaign to defund abortion. I mean, like all abortions in Canada are publicly publicly funded, right? And there are a hundred thousand per year. I mean, in Ontario alone, there's thirty to fifty million of our tax dollars that are being spent on paying for abortion per mm-hmm. year. Like, I mean, if you think about it, 30 to 50 million of our tax dollars could be spent on hiring, like, 200 more doctors, 400 more nurses, um, you know, buying 20 more MRI machines. Um, You know, from personal experience, OHIP wouldn't cover my mom's life-sustaining mouth device to enable her to eat and drink, speak properly after her cancer. Um, But yet it will pay for a procedure that's, you know, life-ending instead of life-giving. So, um, yeah, I mean, I worked on on that committee, um, helped organized rallies in front of people's local uh, constituency offices and um, I mean at the the rally was really great this year it was basically a, a blizzard it was freezing out and snow was blowing all over the place and we got about 300 to 350 people out from you know um, 
surrounding areas like Hamilton, St. Catharines, and they, they all kind of trucked through and came in the middle of the snowstorm and just to show that they, like, supported us. And the, pri- the previous year we had about 2,000 people come out. So it's, it's really great to see that, um, you know, Ontarians do care about this. Um, you know, like, based off a, an abacus data poll that was taken last year, it found that, like, 91% of Ontarians don't know that their tax dollars are going towards paying for abortion. So yeah. it's just about, like, enlightening people, you know, and making mm-hmm. them aware because... Um, I think it's just a, a scary thing that you don't know where your tax dollars are going towards or what it's going towards. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. What's the latest with regard to the upcoming March for Life? Uh, well, I mean, there's I'm I'm working on the um, youth committee side of it, so we are planning the the uh, the prayer vigil um, for the victims of abortion, and that's going to be at the the tribute of uh, Canadian Human Rights Monument. Right. That's going to be Wednesday, May eighth. That's before the march. And then, you know, we're, we're planning stuff for the march as well. The youth conference, I mean, we have keynote speaker Reggie Littlejohn, who's the founder and president of Women's Rights Without Frontiers. And um, we're going to be airing her. She's going to be a keynote speaker, and we're going to be airing her um, documentary, It's a Girl, which focuses on China's one-child pon- policy and gender side. Mm-hmm. And then we have another keynote speaker, um, Ryan Bomberger. He was conceived and raped, was adopted, uh, grew up in a multicultural family of like 15 kids. And now he's an adopted father himself and a spokesperson for the Radiance Foundation. Um, we have David B. Wright. He's going to be doing a workshop. He's the National Director of 40 Days for Life. Um, so that's really exciting. CLCY, that's Campion Life Coalition Youth. We're going to be putting on a workshop ourselves. So, you know, we're just working on um, getting our, the T-shirts in. We're going to have some pretty epic T-shirts this year. They're they're off the hook, but I'm not going to give you any details on okay. those so you guys can <laughs> see them yourself. But, um, yeah, like, I mean, we had 20,000 people at the march last year around there. So we're hoping for more this year. I mean, we've been doing a lot of advertising on social media and, um yeah, we're just really excited. It's, uh, everything's going really well at this point. <laughs> okay, and speaking of social media, how can we get more involved in pro-life activities? All right, well, I'm glad you asked. Um, you can. Our Twitter handle is Campaign Life. Um, CLC Youth has a Facebook page, and it is... Let's see, actually, we have a group. It's Campaign Life Coalition on Facebook, and then Campaign Life Coalition Youth. Um, is another group on there. And then YouTube, we have CLC Youth TV, um, where you can see stuff about our defunding, like um, the speakers um, and just videos about defunding in general. Um, We have Instagram, CLC Youth Pro Life. And then um, we have a page on Facebook, CLC Youth. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I would really hope that people could just start following us um, on Twitter to, you know, see our hashtags for the March for Life, which we're going to start putting those out pretty soon. And, uh, I mean, just just be aware of the activities we are putting on for youth and the the things that you can get involved with. But, uh, I mean, without social media, we're not able to really promote that stuff. So definitely follow us and get involved. Excellent. Thank you so much for speaking with, no with us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, cheers. Bye. I was speaking with Sharon Milan from Campaign Life Coalition. And that's all for me this week. Thanks a lot, Pedro. Thank you, Sheridan. Coming up in our second half hour, Dominican sisters move on to the finals on a Bible game show and the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, have a new album. So don't go anywhere.
Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. You've probably heard of the Dominican Sisters, and maybe even, especially if you're in Ann Arbor, Michigan, about the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. But have you heard of the Game Show Network's hit series, The American Bible Challenge? And do you know that moving on to the final round this season are three Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist? Sister Peter Joseph joins me now on the phone from Ann Arbor to tell us all about this wonderful opportunity for evangelization. Sister Peter Joseph, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you. It's good to be here. So um, for people who uh, have never seen the show, what's the show like? What's, what's the, the, the American Bible Challenge? Well, the main point of the show is a trivia game show um, based on Bible trivia questions, uh-huh. and all of the team members are playing for their charity. So there are teams playing for okay. um, different things, like we were playing for the retirement for our sisters. There were teams playing for their own charities, food, shel- food um, pantries, shelters, uh-huh. things like that. So, so you can the the contestants or the teams can only participate if they're representing a charity. That's right. And so who are some of these other, who were some of the other contestants? Some of the other contestants we played against, um, one contestant was playing for their church group, another was playing for a food pantry, there was one um, playing to end human trafficking, there were a lot of great really? causes out there. And these are, because the, 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 the bits that I got to see online, you know, you have like the bikers or the cowboys, I mean, that's certainly how they featured them. Um, the Christian girls, the sisters. I mean, was it really set up that way, or is that a little bit of a gimmick? Well, I think they do that just to make it a little more fun, so it's fun to see a team of of three people all going, kind of similar people, and all going for a a charitable cause. Right. Okay, so how did you and and your team and the Dominican Sisters, how did you end up in the show or participating on the show? Well, the, the sisters heard about the um, opportunity b- before the show aired, and so Mother Assumpta, who's the, uh, one of the founders of our community, uh-huh. asked if anyone thought they knew the Bible fairly well and <laughs> would answer qu- questions quickly, so she ended up asking the three of us to go. Okay, so th- did you had to have your own little contest uh, among the sisters to see who <laughs> would be chosen? No, Mother asked the three of us. Okay, now, um, Catholics are not well-known for being, you know, Bible experts. So is this a particular interest that the three of you have, or is there a particular focus on Scripture among your congregation? Well, all three of us do love the Scripture, but I really think any of the sisters could have gone on the show and done a great job. Um, everyone in our community loves the Scriptures, and it's also a very Dominican tradition to love and study the Scriptures. Right. Now, what's, what's, so, so again, for people who have not had a chance to, to watch the show, I know that you're going on to the final round. So how many uh, did you have to play? Were you at every episode or how, how was the show structured that way? Um, well, so far uh, we've played two episodes. So we've played one, um, I believe it was the first episode shown. Uh-huh. Um, as a kind of intro, and then we were able to go on to the semifinals because we won that one. Uh-huh. Um, and then the latest show was the semifinals, which we just won. Okay, and then the next one would be, the next one for you is the finals. The next one for us is the finals, yes. But there are other shows between now and then. There are. There's a whole other round of shows 
leading up to another semifinal show. I see. And so at the finals, will you be playing against two other teams? We will be. We'll be playing against the other winner of the semifinals and whoever wins a kind of um, tiebreaker game between the two second-place winners of the semifinals. Now, and for... Maybe we can make this a little bit of a... a, 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 a a Bible show, quiz show here right now. <laughs> what, what sorts of questions are they? I mean, because I know it's not all trivia that they're asking you questions and you have to answer. Sometimes there are little games that you have to, I don't know, put all the Bible books in order or, or uh, other, other, uh, other activities like that. What sorts of questions are they asking? Yes, they ask um, all sorts of questions, starting with kind of easier ranging questions at the beginning where it might be just about basic gospel stories like the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. Uh -huh. But then they also had fun physical challenges. So one of the ones that we did on the first show was you had you had some glasses lined up in front of you with Bible answers on them, and you had to flip a fork using a spoon into the glass. So it was kind of a fun figure okay. out how to do the physics challenge uh -huh. while getting the correct Bible answer. So you have to be uh, f physics experts as well as scripture scholars. <laughs> yes. Now, what, what it, it occurred to me when I was preparing for the show that this is a great, I mean, everybody's talking about the new evangelization, and what a great opportunity to, I mean, to evangelize through the show in terms of teaching people scripture, but also for you, the three of you Dominican sisters, to be there with the other contestants. Um, you're wearing full habits. I'm yes. sure that that brings, brings out lots of interesting questions or conversations. What sorts of conversations have you been having with some of the other contestants? You know, we had a lot of really great conversations. Like you said, we're wearing the full habit. Uh -huh. And so, so many people wanted to know why, why we wear the habit and what kind of witness that's giving. So we were able to do a lot of just basic evangelization. Well, you know, we wear the habit because we're representing Jesus Christ and we want you to know that he loves you. Uh -huh. um, and that was just a great witness. And uh, is it fair to say that y the three of you are the only Catholics in the program, contestants? I believe we were this season, uh, as far as I know. I'm not, I'm not positive. So in terms of, uh, did you find that there were other questions that people had about Catholicism, or especially maybe during the, the transition in the papacy, questions about our faith? Yes, we... Um, we were asked about our faith quite a bit. Um, there were a number of people who knew Catholics but didn't really know what they believed. So we were able to explain, you know, we have these things in common with Protestants, you know, but we believe that Jesus is the real presence in the Eucharist, things like that. We were able to explain them, but then they could also see on the flip side, here are Catholics who are joyful, excited about their faith, and that, you know, here's something to look for, to look at in Catholics yeah, that might absolutely. Be, you not, might not have seen before. Yeah, yeah, joyful young, young sisters, and yes. that you actually know your scriptures, mm -hmm. which, which is good. Now, um, so the, uh, I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with the D Dominican sisters, Dominican order, the Dominican order, but maybe they have not heard, uh, they don't realize that there might be different, is it fair to say different branches of the Dominican uh, order? So you, the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, is your congregation. Can you yes. tell us a little bit about, about what is different? What is your particular charism? Well, we're a fairly new congregation. We were actually founded in 1997 um, by four Dominican Sisters from St. Cecilia's. And okay. So those are the ones uh, in Nashville? Yes. Okay. 
Yes, so they founded our community um, in order for, for two reasons. In order to have, we have daily Eucharistic adoration, and that's one of the main features of our community life. Okay. Every day we have a holy hour in front of the exposed sacrament. Uh-huh. And we are also teachers, so most of our apostolate involves teaching in Catholic schools okay. and bringing Christ to the kids there. Okay, so you're out working yes. uh, every day teaching. Um, I don't think a lot of people would think of Mary as mother of the Eucharist. Uh, I love that concept. Um, h- how is that? How can that image of Mary inspire us? Well, a big part of our community's charism is spiritual motherhood. Mm-hmm. So as we're out teaching the kids, evangelizing to other people, we're trying to image Our Lady as she was to the people around her, but also as she adored the Eucharist, her, her own son. Uh-huh. So that's, that's a very large influence for all of us. Yeah, that's beautiful. How many sisters do you have in your, in your uh, congregation? We have over a hundred sisters. Really, and you're all, and the convent or your mother house is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yes. So, and if anyone, uh, may, maybe there are some young women who are listening, who are thinking, "Oh, that sounds interesting. How can I find out more? Uh, do you have uh, vocations retreats or anything like that? Come and see weekends that they can participate in." We do. In? We have three vocations retreats a year. One in. The, our, our next one coming up is in May. Okay. Um, and also, if you go to our website at sistersofmary.org, uh-huh. they can find out all about our vocations, when our retreats are, and they can email our vocations director, who would be glad to hear from them. Excellent. Yeah, so we're going to post that, that, that web address on our site. So the final show, the final round, I guess, for you is going to be on May 16th. The show is Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, correct? Yes. And... If you win, what happens? If we win, we win a $100,000 prize. Oh, wow. And to give to our charity, which is the retirement fund for the, our sisters. To help your sisters when they retire. Great. So, okay. So, we'll all be watching. And good, good luck. Is that fair to say? Good luck? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. I'm sure you'll do well. Thank you. Thank you for speaking to us today and telling us a little bit about your life, your congregation, and, and this uh, fun uh, experience that you've been having. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. Sister Peter Joseph is a Dominican Sister of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, a congregation based in Ann Arbor, Michigan. You can find out more about them at at their website, sistersofmary.org. And you can find out more about the American Bible Challenge at gsntv.com. The final episode, again, will air on Thursday, May 16th. Be sure to tune in and support the sisters. And here now is another congregation of sisters, our featured artists of the week, the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, with O Deus Ego Amo Te, written by St. Francis Xavier. The words in English are, O God, I love thee for thyself, and not that I may heaven gain, nor yet that they who love thee not must suffer hell's eternal pain. Out of the bud of the wood of the cross, wherefore heart's love embraces, whence out of extended arms you lovingly take us. Amen. So here they are with Odeus Ego Amote.
that was the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, with O Deus Ego Amo Te, from their new album, Angels and Saints at Ephesus. Now, you may remember last year, the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, released their debut album, Advent at Ephesus. Now, this album flew to the top of the charts, spending six weeks as number one on Billboard's classical music chart. And the sisters ended up as the number one classical traditional artist of 2012, according to Nielsen's SoundScan, which is the data system that reports to the Billboard. They were featured on EWTN, Vatican Radio, NPR, USA Today, the National Catholic Register, People Magazine, the Washington Times, and of course, right here on the Salt and Light Hour. And now, the sisters continue their partnership with De Montfort Music and the Decca Label Group, and they've released their second album, Angels and Saints at Ephesus. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Monica Fitzgibbons of De Montfort Music. Monica, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much, Deacon Pedro. It's great to be with this you This is again. so much fun. And, and I have to tell you, is this unusual that, I mean, this album, the first album just came out. It feels that that was just, I mean, it was just now, November. Yeah. And already well, you're done, done. It's recorded. It's packaged. It's all ready to, to get distributed. Yes. Well, the thing is, there's nothing usual about <laughs> working with this beautiful monastic order of nuns. Uh-huh. And my husband reminded me last year when we were sitting down and talking with Decca about making a release, mm-hmm. uh, that conversation took place just a couple of months before Advent at Ephesus was done, recorded, packaged, ready, out. Yeah. And so the Holy Spirit obviously is working overtime with them, <laughs> and, uh, and, and they are always singing, as you learned from the yes. last time around. Yes. And a lot of people who really enjoyed Advent at Ephesus there was an outpouring to both mm-hmm. our li- record label and to the sisters about, oh, now Advent's over, but I still want right, that in my life. Right. So okay. that's kind of how it all came to be. Can we talk a little bit about the success of Advent? I mean, I already you know, rhymed off the, the top of the charts and all that, but uh, can you, do you have any stories or uh, some of the feedback that you received from, from the listeners, the people uh, of the success or, or the... I guess, that the shows the need for this kind of music based on that first album? Absolutely. Well, there are many stories, but, you know, Deacon Pedro, one of my favorite ones is a letter that came to the sisters from a mother who had been driving somewhere in the South, Uh and uh, she had a very artistic son who uh, was just going through a very disturbed and agitated period, teenage son, Uh and they were in the car and she was looking for anything. So she thought maybe there might be a classical radio station on, you know, on the air. And so she turned it on and sure enough, they were playing the, the sisters and her son just calmed down. This is probably the first week of Advent. Wow. And she, I mean, if you've ever been around a, a special needs child like that who you want to help so badly to calm down mm-hmm. or to help them get out of where they're at, if you find something, I mean, so she came yeah. home from driving and this music had taken them all the way home. She got home, she ran into the house quickly ordered it on Amazon, got it on <laughs> iTunes, got it everywhere she could. And 
she wrote to the sisters saying that the entire rest of Advent leading up to Christmas, there was peace in the house. All of them had experienced the music together. He was, you know, putting his head up to the speakers, and just she could see her own child, this 16-year-old boy, relaxing for the first time in a long time. And I keep that visual with me because those are the things you would never know when you're sitting down to put this music out. You just think, well, okay, the Lord obviously is calling this music out of their chapel and into the world, and only he knows why. Wow, yeah, what, uh, what, a, what a beautiful story. And that's all you need to know, right? Yeah. <laughs> it touched one yeah. family, but I'm sure there are, there are thousands like that one family. Um, so, and I understand that, that, and I felt the same way. So now Advent's over and I, I felt guilty listening to Advent music outside of Advent. <laughs> so was that the main reason then as to why yeah. we, we moved on so quickly to the second album? Yes, and... Um they, they wanted to respond to this request for something to listen to year-round, and they really love the uh, Angels and Saints. And this recording is another great mix of polyphony, Gregorian chant, and uh-huh. hymns. But these songs are either written by the saints, such as St. Alphonsus, which yeah. we're going to hear pretty soon, and yeah. St. Francis Xavier, which you've already played yes, or you're yes, about to play, yes. and uh, St. Therese. Um, they're either about the saints, by the saints, and of course, for the angels, a wonderful companion to the feast days throughout the year. So it was a natural. They're singing these hymns all the time as little compliments to the saints during Vespers, during their mm-hmm. feast days, and... Uh, they spare no trappings when it comes to their art, and so it wasn't that it was going to be difficult for them to go and get this repertoire together. It was more on our end, you know, can we keep up with them? I mean, they could probably put something out every month if we... Right. <laughs> I'm coming to find out. Right. So was it produced... Is, is it the same producer, Christopher Alder? Is He produced the first album as well, right? He didn't. We actually oh. had more of like a pop producer for the first album okay, named Glenn okay. Rosenstein. Okay, and yes. And he did a great job. Uh, but we felt that, you know, from what they learned from that first recording, we wanted to get a real classical uh, producer. And so uh, we had the most world-renowned classical producer express interest in this nine-time Grammy Award-winning wow. producer, Christopher Alder. Uh-huh. And uh, so he ultimately came over from Germany to produce them, and he built the -the state-of-the-art mobile recording studio in their priory. And, of course, our whole goal with this music is, you know, we come in there and get it as it's, you know, normally, uh, you know, uh, manifest into into their lives. We don't want to take them out and put them in a recording studio. No, of course not. Of course not. Now, are they, are they, they're cloistered, are they? Or No. They want. They are close to being cloistered, but they still have um, this monastery building project, which is why we're really okay. doing this on the practical order uh-huh. to help them be able to build to their monastery funds. so yep. they can realize their full cloister. I see. I see. But 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 one of the reasons for bringing the the recording studio into the convent or into the chapel is is so that they don't have to go out, but also to preserve the, the atmosphere? The yes, the and they are. I mean, to you and I, they, they seem like they're already cloistered. They're, they call themselves contemplative. They uh-huh. don't leave. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, they're not out and about, but just because their their monastery really isn't built, they're not completely separate from, right. you know, let's say a priest comes to visit or, you know, someone comes on a retreat or something right. like that. Okay. It's not technically a cloister, yeah, but okay. close. Close. So the new album, the release date is May 7th, but yes. but people can pre-order the music now, correct? Yes, they, they can, and we are needing and encouraging those pre-orders to come in because we want to make their music more widely available. Okay. So in other words, if you go to our website, uh-huh. which is www.demontfortmusic.com, uh-huh. Uh, you'll find the links to pre-order the music, and also, rest assured, by doing so now, you'll also have that little added benefit of receiving the music in time for Mother's Day. Okay, good. So that's a that's an incentive. Nice. G- that's a good idea. It's a good gift. My mother would like that, actually. Nice gift there for Mother's go. Day. There you go. There you go. And, and uh, okay, so if people go to the website, De Montfort Music, and we're going to put that link on our website so people can find it easily, and we'll put it on Facebook, and we'll put it everywhere. Um, so that people can pre-order, um, which will support the release. The more pre-orders you have, the more copies you can make once the album is released, correct? Yes, and it'll be more widely available, not only in the U.S. and Canada, but around the world. And that's okay. our goal, is to bring this music as, as far as to as many souls as can be. Okay, good. And then you're also supporting, by buying the music, supporting the sisters, in building their new monastery and whatever other needs that they might have, correct? Absolutely. It's a win-win. Okay, good. And we're actually going to have a copy of this available to give away. And uh, we're going to put more details of that on our Facebook page, Salt Plus Light Radio. Look us up on Facebook uh, to see if we can uh, uh, give out and keep enticing people with a free a free copy of the, of the new album. Monica, thank you very much for sharing again a little bit about the sisters and uh, the work you're doing with us um, but this is very exciting it's beautiful music and oh, and, and, and it sounds like there are more coming so um, we look forward to, to, to all the next albums oh beautiful well thank you for having me on so much Deacon not a problem Monica Fitzgibbons is the co-founder of De Montfort Music you can learn more at demontfortmusic.com And you can learn all about the Benedictine Sisters of Mary, Queen of Apostles at their website, benedictinesofmary.org. And here they are now, the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, from their new album, Angels and Saints at Ephesus, a hymn by St. Alphonsus Liguori, O God of Loveliness. Thank you. 
That was O God of Loveliness by the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles, from their new album, Angels and Saints at Ephesus. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can stream or podcast all Salt and Light Hour programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. That's also where you can now listen to uninterrupted Catholic music and devotions. Christian music like never before. Thanks to the generous support of artists like the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of Apostles. Check out our website to learn how you can listen online and on the go on your mobile device, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And once again, we welcome all our new listeners. Visit us on Facebook for a chance to win some cool music prizes. And while you're there, tell us what you think about what we're doing. Look for us, Salt Plus Light Radio. And thank you for your support and for being with us. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.